And whatever the demon was in this girl said, this man is a servant of the Most High God. But Jesus never wanted a demon singing his praises. Jesus was in the synagogue once and this demon said, who was in a man, said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And he commanded that demon to come out of him. Jesus does not want praise from demons. He wants praise from you and I who are indwelled by his Holy Spirit and who love him, who gave himself for us. All right, well, today we come to Acts chapter 19. And Lord willing, we will cover the first 20 verses this morning, and then we will finish up Acts chapter 19 in the will of the Lord next month. So um, I feel like this has been a wonderful study in the book of Acts to see God moving in the church of God in the early church. And isn't it wonderful to know that we serve the same God today as Paul served back then. Hebrews says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if anybody ever tells you that Jesus changed, they are a liar. Because Jesus never changes. And God told us in the Old Testament, he said, I am God, I change not. And in this ever-changing world, what a wonderful privilege it is for us to know that God, in fact, does not change. So, today's uh, text is about a return to Ephesus, a return to Ephesus. If you remember in Acts chapter 18, and we'll get to it in a few minutes, Paul left Ephesus kind of in a hurry, and he said, if the Lord wills, I will return. Well, God is willing now, and so Paul is returning. But let's open in a word of prayer, and then we will return with Paul to Ephesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and we ask for it to do its work today. We ask that you would help us to open our eyes and behold wondrous things from your law. And we know that we can't do that without wisdom from above. And so we simply ask for that and ask you to be here in a special way in the next several minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes, um, my first point is Paul finds hearts ready for the gospel. Now, this first section of Acts chapter 19 is at least slightly controversial. Um, Some commentators believe that these gentlemen that we will read about um, were saved, that they were true disciples of Christ, and others believe they were not. As we get into the text, I will explain 
my position and why I believe the way that I do. But apart from that, we know that God is going to do a great work here. So let's just read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 7, and we'll go from there. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all, and all of the men were about twelve. So let's notice a couple of things here. First, Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he's passing through to check on the churches, and he's going through the upper regions, and he comes to Ephesus, and he finds certain disciples. Now, what's one thing we can be absolutely sure of? We can be absolutely sure of the, of the fact that this was not an accident. God had a divine plan in Paul finding these disciples. And then in verse 2, he asks them a key question. We don't find Paul asking people this repeatedly. For, for those, there are those who teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is separate from your salvation experience. But we only see Paul asking this question as a very specific circumstance for this particular time. He does not ask this repeatedly. As a matter of fact, he writes in his epistles that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit when we believe. So what is the reason for this? Well, we need to remember that Acts is a transitional book. So God is imparting and showing the impartation of the Holy Spirit upon specific groups of people to show us that they are accepted in the Beloved and that the church is growing. So that's the first thing I think that we need to realize when we consider this text. The next thing I think that is important to recall or to remember is the way they answer his question. Because he says, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, there are prophecies in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit fell upon people at a very specific time for very specific purposes, and it wasn't on every uh, Old Testament saint. So it was different. And then the second question, I think, tells us what we need to know about their true state. Because he said unto them in verse 3, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Now John was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. But he said this, he said, Coming after me is one whose sandals 
I am not worthy to unloose. So he said, you may think that my ministry is great. But I am not the one. I am sent to proclaim the one. And so I think what has happened here and from the, from the research that I have done, this particular chapter takes place in approximately 50 to 53 AD. So we're talking about, about 20 years after Jesus has died and buried and risen again. So these men very possibly could have heard John's ministry, been baptized um, and repented, preparing the way for the one that would come after, but had never heard the complete gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul is telling them, the one that came after John, that is Jesus, and then as soon as they knew of Jesus, they were baptized in his name. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them, signifying that they were saved. And I think it's so interesting how God sent Paul for this very specific reason. And, and he met these people and he met their need. It reminds me of the story of Cornelius. Remember Cornelius, when we were in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius was crying out to God. He prayed always, he gave alms, he respected the Jewish people. But it wasn't enough, was it? He had to learn and accept the gospel. And so what happened was, he's praying and God knows his heart. And so he, so he sends an angel and says, Cornelius, you're saved. Right? No. He sent an angel and he said, Send unto the house of Simon the leper for one called Simon Peter. And he will come and he will tell you the true things that you need to know. And so I think what we have here is another instance of this, that these men were earnest. They were seeking God. Their hearts were ready. And Paul swooped in and gave them the gospel and they received it gladly. Because what did Jesus say? If you seek what? You will find. Definitive article, guarantee. And so I think that's what we see here. Um, because it says, Paul laid his hands upon them and the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied and all the men were about 12. So they accepted the Lord Jesus gladly. And I think it was at that moment that they were passed from death to life. Why, why do I say that? Well, Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And that, I believe, answers this question well. If someone gets there, if they could stand and read it for us, I would appreciate it. You, however... 
are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not of Christ. Therefore, there is no salvation apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So once again, if someone tells you that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes place separate from the salvation that is found in none other but Jesus, they're wrong. Because you cannot be saved apart from the Spirit of God. Let's also look at Acts chapter 18. Verse 25, Acts 18, 25. Or, or, yeah, Acts 18, 25. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord only the baptism of John. So this is referring to Apollos, who we studied previously, and he had the same issue. He knew the baptism of John. That was the extent of his knowledge of the gospel. And he preached what he knew with fervency, but it was not enough. And Priscilla and Aquila came alongside him, and told him the truth of the gospel. And he had a flourishing ministry to the point where Paul would later write to the Corinthians, some say I am of Paul, some say I am of Apollos, and others say I am of Christ. But Christ is the one to be of. And then finally, let's look at John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. John chapter 1, 29 to 34. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the dust, the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear witness, bear witness that this is the Son of God. So this is the Apostle John giving us his uh, a depiction of John the Baptist and his ministry and pointing clearly to the fact that Je- Jesus was greater and Jesus was the one to whom we needed to turn for salvation. And it, it is so exciting to know that God's word will always travel and accomplish what it must. It's kind of exciting to hear stories from Muslim countries of people that have no 
knowledge of God and how God comes to them. Remember hearing a story from Mike Fitzhugh a few weeks ago when he was preaching at our church about a guy who grew up in a socialist, atheistic regime. But in order to uh, write a book about atheism, they had to refer to God. And he had a text that referred to atheism and had a bunch of verses about God. And he started to get convicted just by reading that book about the truth of the gospel. And he cut out all the Bible verses from that book and he put them together in his own book so that he could have the Bible with him until such time as he was given a whole Bible. But isn't it wonderful to know that a book that was written to go against God was used to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because the gospel will not be stopped. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Charles Spurgeon went to one day into Albert Hall where he was to preach the coming... Spurgeon went one day into Albert Hall where he was to preach the coming Sabbath. In order to test out the hall with his voice, he mounted the platform and repeated the text, The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. Not long afterward, he received word that the repetition of this text had borne rich fruit. A painter at work in some great hall was startled when he heard the voice of Spurgeon repeating in the empty hall that great sentence of John's. The words so impressed him that he was converted and brought to Christ. You never know what will bring someone to a relationship with the Lord Jesus. I haven't done it as much lately, but there were there have been times in my life where wherever I go, I'm singing something because I love to sing. And the Psalms say that God puts a new song in your heart and he really has done that for me. But that is just a simple way that you can be a testimony to others is just by singing the words of the great rich gospel hymns. And uh, I just want to remind you that whatever sphere you find yourself in, you can still be Jesus to those around you. Paul said, you are my epistles, known and read of all men. Point number two for this morning. Paul returns to the synagogue and is used mightily. Acts chapter 19, verses 8 to 12. And I love this about Paul. We've seen this repeatedly. What's the first place that Paul goes whenever he goes to a new city? He finds the synagogue. Yes, he was called to the Gentiles. But his heart was big for his people, the Jews, as well. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened 
and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and diseases departed from them, and evil spirits went out of them. So, we see here that Paul goes into the synagogue, and as per the usual, it seems, when his message is not received, then he goes to another place, the Hall of Tyrannus, and he decides to set up kind of a school to teach the scriptures. And tradition says that he was there from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., six days a week for the space of two to three years, teaching the word of God. And I just find that very interesting. Whenever somebody tries to thwart the word of God, God finds a way to help his word expand. Do you know that the gospel of Christ proves either a savor of life unto life or of death unto death? You sometimes hear people say, we will go and hear this man preach. If it does us no good, it will do us no harm. Don't you believe it? Every time one hears the gospel and rejects it, the hardening process goes on. The same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. The sermon that would have moved to action a few years ago makes no impression now. There is not a true minister of the gospel who will not say the hardest people to reach are those who have been impressed and whose impressions have worn away. It is a good deal easier to commit a sin a second time than it was to commit it the first time, but it is a good deal harder to repent the second time than the first. D.L. Moody. And then the school of Tyrannus. Um, the Codex BZD from the 5th century adds that Paul taught from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. when most of the city had a rest period and the building was available. Uh, this may this may be an item of oral tradition. Paul would work at his trade during regular business hours and then teach during the rest period. And then there's a couple different um, theories as to who Tyrannus is. Uh, there, there's a one school of thought that says he was a sophist mentioned by Sudas. Sudas wrote in the 10th century but use reputable sources back to classical times. His literary work is like an encyclopedia of political, liter literary, and ecclesiastical persons. There's a possibility that he was a Jewish rabbi who operated a private school for teaching the law of Moses, but there is no textual evidence for this position. And there's also a theory that this building was originally a gymnasium, but later a lecture hall owned by or named after Tyrannus. So um, Paul uh, had to leave the synagogue <clears throat> and apparently there were too many converts to use a house so he rented a lecture hall. 
This allowed him some contact with the population of Ephesus. And that's from freebiblecommentary.org. And we see in this verse it says that so that all which dwell in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So no one was excluded. What a wonderful truth that is. Um, and on this issue of the uh, handkerchiefs and aprons brought from his body, we have no idea why God allowed this to happen. But we do know that it was not the handkerchiefs or the aprons that had the power or Paul who had the power. It was God. In much the same way as God allowed the shadow of Peter to heal others earlier in this book, he's allowing this kind of power to flow through Paul again to show the truth of what Paul is preaching and to give validation to the things that he tells others. Can we look at Romans 15, verses 18 and 19? Romans 15, 18 and 19. So Paul is not taking any credit for the work that God did through him. He's saying, whatever mighty deeds were done, were done through the power of Almighty God. A.T. Pearson said, a fruitful bough whose branches run over the wall grows from a strong, well-rooted, vigorous, and healthy stalk on the other side. The foremost disciples in spiritual life are the foremost unselfish, persistent, untiring. The foremost disciples in spiritual life are the foremost in unselfish, persistent, untiring work for souls. And again, that is Dr. A.T. Pearson. So now we come to our third section um, of this passage and it's Acts nineteen, thirteen to 17 then certain of the Vagamon Jews exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus saying we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches and there were seven sons one of, of one Sceva a Jew and chief of the priest which did so And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, 
so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was made known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Where did we read a similar verse to verse 17? Fear fell upon them all. It was in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira lied to Peter, in effect lying to the Holy Spirit, and fell down dead. Said fear fell upon the multitude and the church grew. So this this wonderful miscarriage of justice, this misuse of the gifts of God brought more growth for the church. But it's interesting here in this passage that you have these who would cast out uh, evil spirits, these exorcists, and it, and it kind of appears that they might have had a little power. But then they come to this demon-possessed man, and they said, We adjure you by the name of the, of the Lord. We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. Now, what do we notice about this? First of all, this is not a personal plea. They're not talking about their personal relationship with God. This appears to be very much people that were motivated, like Simon the sorcerer, who said, I'll give you money and you give me the power to call down the Holy Spirit. And what did Peter say? He said, your money perish with you. Peter and Paul and others like them that did good works and miracles for the Lord Jesus had no control over whether this power would work. The only thing they could do is call upon the name of the Lord and if it was the Lord's will, it happened. Remember, Paul prayed for Epaphroditus who was nigh unto death that he would be healed. It wasn't like Paul could just walk into Epaphroditus' room, touch him, and have him be healed. That wasn't the will of the Lord. So Paul prayed for Epaphroditus, and it was touch, It appears that it was touch and go for a while, and then God restored him. But we don't read of Paul having any intervention there. You cannot deal with the spiritual forces of this world apart from the Holy Spirit. And that seems to be the way that these seven sons of Siva, Sceva have had chosen to do. And I find it interesting that the, the people of Ephesus say nothing to these people, but the demon does. The demon says... Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? This demon knew that Paul spoke for God. Where else did we see this in the book of Acts? A few chapters back, we saw that there was a soothsaying girl who made her master's great wealth by telling fortunes. Sometimes we tend to say, 
well, those things are totally fake. But I think that some of this is at least a little bit legit. But the point is it comes through the power of Satan and not through the power of God. And whatever the demon was in this girl said, this man is a servant of the Most High God. But Jesus never wanted a demon singing his praises. Jesus was in the synagogue once and this demon said, who was in a man, said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And he commanded that demon to come out of him. Jesus does not want praise from demons. He wants praise from you and I, who are indwelled by his Holy Spirit and who love him, who gave himself for us. But this was also telling that they didn't know the Lord. They didn't have the power to deal with this situation. They were just in it for themselves. Another story this reminds me of is if you remember back in Exodus, the sorcerers that worked for the Pharaoh, they were able to do the first couple of miracles in some form but when it got to miracle three or four the sorcerers turned to pharaoh and said why are you messing around with this this is nothing short of the very finger of god and we cannot prevail against it isn't it wonderful to know that all of the evil people in this world who are now thumbing their fingers in the face of Almighty God, will one day bow the knee before they are cast into the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Because no one is able to pre- prevail against the finger of God. No one. And then what's the result of trying to do Something in their own power. The man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. They had nothing. These are seven men against one demon-possessed man and they left naked and wounded. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. so important for us to realize that. The demon has learned about Jesus and knows the divine power flowing from Jesus to Paul can overpower him. He also detects the deception that the Jewish exorcists practice and knows they are powerless. The question, who are you, reveals the demon's contempt. And that is from Simon J. Keastmaker. Can we look at Exodus 8.19? Exodus 8.19.
Then the, that the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. Again, two things here. First of all, this is the reference that I was referring to earlier. This is the finger of God. And the other one is when God comes in contact with someone, when God makes himself known to someone, there's two realities. One, people are softened before God. And one, people are hardened before God. God told Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. But before that it said, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So Pharaoh's hard heart allowed God to continue to harden his heart in such a way that none of the ten plagues of Egypt convinced him. To the point that he was going to go after the children of Israel and bring them back to Egypt. But God had other plans. As Miriam said on the other side of the Red Sea, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Now, you and I were not at the Red Sea that day, but how often have we been in a situation that seems impossible? But God shows up. And he makes the possible possible. See, the thing is, God is in the habit of making something impossible, then doing it through you anyway, and then he gets all the credit because he made the impossible possible. Acts chapter 8, 18 to 22 Acts chapter 8, 18 to 22. And when Simon saw that through laying on the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Isn't it wonderful to see the change that the Holy Spirit can make in a man? who not long before this had said, I know not the man. Because he was the same man, but he also wasn't the same man. Because when a man is indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, he is not the same. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I trust and hope that that is the story for you. If it's not, I'd love to talk to you about life with Jesus. When Saladin beheld the sword of Richard, the lionhearted, he marveled that a weapon so ordinary could have wrought such mighty deeds. The brave Englishman bared his arm and said, 
It was not the sword that did these things. It was the arm of Richard. It was the arm of God that fought against the Midian host. What mattered to God? What what mattered it to God whether Gideon's army numbered one hundred thousand or one thousand or one? One with God is a majority, anyhow. God measures men, never counts them. And that was W. E. Baderwolf in the man nobody missed. The final point: redemption is the result. Redemption is the result. Because people saw this power, they responded to the gospel. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it to be about 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. You notice, after almost every section of this book, you see a great trial and persecution happen in the church. And then at the end of it, it says, so mightily the word of God grew and prevailed. Or something to that effect. Because God's word will not return void. Now, I've seen a lot of... um, Different estimates as to how much money this was. Saw one as low as 10,000. Saw estimates as high as several million. I read one place that one piece of silver was um, a day's wages. Whatever the amount of this. It's a lot of money that these people were willing to give up by burning their witchcraft. Um, And so it it behooves us to think about the things in our lives that are um, blocking us from having a thriving relationship with God. Because when we purge the bad things out of our lives and put on the good, that's when God's word can flourish. If you look at Colossians chapter 3, it's all about putting off the evil things. So then you have room to put on the good things. Most of all, charity, which is the bond of perfection. Which, of course, charity being translated is love. Love for God and love for one another. One final cross-reference this morning. 1 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. 1 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12.
and ten. Maybe it was second level one. Yes, that that is the passage that I that I wanted. What was that reference? Okay, three, twelve, and thirteen. So make make that change in your notes that it was First Thessalonians three, twelve, and thirteen. I apologize for having the wrong verse in there, but this is um, Paul's wish that love would abound for the Thessalonians as they follow the Lord. The kingdom of God is not going to advance by our churches becoming filled with men, but by men in our churches becoming filled with God. That is such a convicting thing to me. The kingdom of God is not going to advance by our churches becoming filled with men, but by men in our churches becoming filled with God. Howard Spring. And I really have a conviction that we need to walk closer with the Lord Jesus. That's why I started the ministry speaking for him. And I trust by his grace that I'm encouraging people to walk worthy of the gospel for whom they have been called. I trust this encourages you today as it has encouraged me. The same God that worked through the Apostle Paul can work mightily through you and I, but only if you know him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, your faithfulness to us. And now we pray as we part from one another that you would keep us safe and uh, bring us back together next week in the will of the Lord. Um, Or if your plan is to come and get us, may we meet in the air. We trust this to your plan and your timing. In Jesus' name, amen.